Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Christopher Wessling, who had a near-death experience after drowning in a school pool, which we're going to learn about today. Christopher, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to meet you. And thank you for the opportunity. Likewise, and I appreciate you being here. If you don't mind, let's start on the day that it happened and go from there. Right. The incident itself is I had got myself into the deep end of a school swimming pool. And I didn't have any real swimming skills. I got out of contact with the edge of the pool and I'd started sinking. It happened very rapidly. As I was sinking, I remember panicking, trying to hold my breath. I couldn't. And at the moment, the first mouthful of water hit my lungs, I was gone. I remember afterwards remembering how quickly it seemed to happen. Um, but once I had that water, in my lungs, I was gone. I remember traveling down this tunnel of light. It was heading off in front of me, around about 30 degrees, and I popped out the other side. And as soon as I popped out, I could see the scene in front of me. It was like there was grass, but it was a different color. It was more sort of lavendery, purpley, pinky texture to the ground, but it appeared like grass. There was a, a pool of water in front. And once again, it had a different texture to what I'm used to on this physical plane. And there was a gentleman sitting on the other side of the seat. Now, I was inclined to almost go around to walk to him, but it didn't feel to as I started to have that thought. It was like, just stay where I was. And we started communicating. And when he was talking to me to start with, there was no words actually being spoken, which surprised me. It was like it was all happening internally. And it was like whole concepts dropping into my mind in one go. When he gave a sense of greeting, it wasn't like we say hello, how are you, and stuff like that. It was just a whole impression of greeting. It was like 10,000 words in an instant. And most of our communication was like that. He, after greeting, he showed me a bit about what my life was like what I had gained from it so far, the impressions I had from it. And they weren't impressions that I realized I'd had from my life because I'd been brought up in an abusive home. And life to me was quite a painful experience. It wasn't something I enjoyed or got a lot from. But what he was showing me was highlights of my life where I'd learned things and gained things. And it was such a loving, compassionate understanding of a life that had previously seemed difficult. And I'd never known what love was like up until then. I, I had no experience of it. I couldn't even conceive of it. And I felt loved. I felt held. I felt compassion. 
and an understanding that I had no earthly experience of up till that point. And to have that conveyed to me so succinctly was a revelation in itself. Now, from there, it generated me in a sense of value in my life, which I didn't happen have up until then. I just felt like somebody else was punching back. And to have a sense of value in my life literally turned around the view I had of my life. It gave me the will to come back because there was a point where our conversation was over and it was time for me to come back. And those interpretations he'd shown me of my life made me feel the worth of coming back. I did have the choice to stay there, but I knew that the predominant choice that I was being urged to take was to come back. If I'd gone round the pool of water, I feel once I got round and touched him, I wouldn't have come back. But there was definitely a choice, but it was preferred that I come back. It's like there was a reason for me coming back. There was purpose for me coming back. And I felt like there was a mission, but not like sort of a great awe-inspiring mission. There was just a sense there's a reason I'm here, there's a mission, something I'm going to fulfill. And it wasn't like an external purpose, it was an internal purpose. And that felt worthwhile. And I didn't get any concept of what that purpose was. It just left me with a sense of purpose. And that was a big part of the journey. The one thing I, I liked about it, everything in the experience, the air, the ground, all had tactile experience. But the ground wasn't hard like the earth. It all had a softness, a gentleness, a tranquility with it, which once again, I'd never had in my life. I couldn't have given you anything I knew of. It had these sensations. But there, it was conveyed in a way that was so whole, so complete, and I felt so whole and complete there. There was nothing left to add and there was nothing needed taken away. It literally was a sense of completeness and wholeness in a way that had tranquility, peace, and a conveyance with it of the availability of life expressed in its fullest form. And part of me ever since then has been looking at the fulfillment of that. And knowing that the mission I was on was an internal one has been sort of lived out and played out in my life because um, I've had a lot of time for reflection, for meditation. Um, I've been meditating for 37 years now. I originally learned from a Buddhist monk and I've just developed and developed the inward path since then. Been able to share it with other people and various other things I've learned. So that was the start of it. But once I'd had the near-death experience, it was many years till I had an accident at 27 years old that I started on the spiritual path, as I call it. So there was quite an intervening time period, but it got me through my childhood, you know, because once I came back from that experience, I still had to carry on with life. I was still in an abusive home, um, and I still had to live my life from there. Outwardly, it didn't change me because I didn't know what to do with the experience at the time. So even after I came back, I sort of just put the experience to the side because I had to cope with day-to-day. -day. Most of that was traumatic. 
and I sort of forgot about it until I had the accident in 1985 and trying to cope with that with a level of disability, you know, questioning why am I here, what's it all about. Um, I came in contact with a spiritualist church and then the Theosophical Society. And then I sort of expanded out from there. That's where I became more interested and came across people who talked about near-death experiences. And I started to share my experience from then, um, as well as others that I had. So between 15 and 27, I never really spoke about it, never really went into it. Wouldn't have even really known what to call it. I just knew I had it. Um, it was always in my mind somewhere, but I never did a lot with it. So, yeah, it was an interesting context at the time. Christopher, thank you for sharing your experience with us. The being that you met, what did he look like? When I saw him, he was in a chair that was almost like a soft blue. It was like an armchair with a very high back, like you might see in royalty, or sort of like a throne, but it didn't have a throne energy, like it wasn't a sense of superiority or anything. It was almost like an indication of his wisdom, like he was given the place of wisdom. And he had great white flowing robes on, big long white bed that went down you know, came down in front of him, along his knees and down down his shins, about halfway down the shins. One of the things that struck me at the time and still does now is just the length of the beard. Mm -hmm. you know, it was like it was so long. It was like, you know, I sort of like, wow, that's a long beard. I never said it to him, but, you know, I'm sh it was just in my awareness, you know. Um, the interesting thing is, one thing I've learned is on the other side, the sense of age, like he had an elder appearance, like a, an older gentleman, but it wasn't old in the body looking aged. The body still had a sense of vitality with it. That wasn't lost. The age is indicative of inner wisdom, evolution, and under, level of understanding from those realms from a spiritual point of view. If a being isn't very evolved, it can still appear as a child, even though it may have had many incarnations. This is what I've learned since then. But at the time, I just felt his wisdom, his knowledge, his knowing. He had a great understanding of the earth realm. Um, he greeted me from there, and there was an understanding of what I'd been through, what it was about, and he showed me the perspective of it that made it worth living. Whereas up until then, as I said, I didn't have that experience. And that's something that really came out in later life, especially after having the accident with a disability. Um, because the disability left me at periods where I'd be laid up in bed literally for up to three months at a time, just struggling to breathe. Um, even just basic movements were extremely painful. And I still found value in it. And one of the things that had been conveyed from that place was a sense of beauty that I found there. That stayed with me. And I learned to see beauty in things, which gave me an interpretation of life that very few people have. And I've always found so long as I can see beauty, 
I'm okay. And I have found that beauty is actually a, a great doorway into our deeper aspects of conscious, both awareness and pure conscious, or consciousness and pure consciousness itself. Do you feel like the being chose an appearance that would be comforting to you? I, that's a question I've never actually asked. Let me have a look. Um, I get the feeling it's one that I would be familiar with, but still had that introduction to something other than human form because of the appearance. Everything almost appeared pure white except the skin, which was close to white, but not totally. It wasn't like a human skin. It was more whitish. So there was familiarity to what I could handle, but enough difference to know I was in another place. Since that experience, I know beings appear in a way, like I've talked to people that have passed over. I've talked to beings that are there to help those who pass over. And often they will take the, the form of someone's previous loved one who's passed before them. You know, it might be an uncle, an auntie, a parent that's passed over. But that's not their real form, because when I first learned to talk to them, I was a realization inside myself, rather than something they shared to me, that this human form they're appearing in wasn't their natural form. And I asked them to appear in their normal form, and it was beings of light. So I realized they do take on form that's comfortable to us for when most people are passing over. Now, when they pass over, I often see a collection of people around, which once again is different to the near-death experience I had. But a lot of people I find have a perception, you know, will my uncles or aunties or family members are comfortable to be there? You know, they want to know somebody's there to meet them. So yes, they do appear for those at those times. And we can set it up to a degree because once or twice I've been asked to help with people who are passing over. So I set up uh, a light connection with the other side before the person passes and almost get the introductions going from the other side to this person who's passing. And from the person who's passing, I sort of put a handshake over to the other side. And that helps. Um, one of the times I did it, I set up a, a light and a direction from the person who was passing. And I didn't tell them what they were doing. They had no knowledge of it. And they pointed and up and says, the light. And it was exactly where I'd set up the connection, which was quite astounding. Um, I wouldn't say I fully understand that, but they were able to see it, which was quite something. And it was a special experience to share with that person. Do you feel like this being is a energy being that has never incarnated here and only exists in the other realm and possibly other worlds or a being that, you know, it's, has been previously human? The feeling I get is this being has never incarnated, but yet he has offshoots that have incarnated when you come down the layers of evolution like from source consciousness the first layer down that i know are aspects of oneness 
which is where I experience Christ consciousness. And the first layer of separation splits into three. The next layer splits into nine, and then it just splits out from there. And each being splits itself out into multiple aspects as you go down. Getting close to the human form, there's a layer where they split out to a thousand, and there's a layer where they split out to ten thousand. And this being has got aspects that have split off that he's in communication with that have no in human form. But I don't get that he has been in human form. But he has enough contact through those split off aspects itself that has given him great understanding of human form, which is why he's able to convey so much presence with the human form, but yet not human form. Which is interesting, yeah, because as you say it, I'm feeling that his ability to communicate with it, but yet not be tainted by the human form. So he doesn't carry any of the judgmental side that humans have a habit of doing. Um, And he doesn't doesn't have suffering, anguish, anxiety. There is no traces of that in him at all. So he's free of those human limiting qualities, but yet understanding of the human form in a way that he can convey the peace and harmony and acceptance of it. When he showed you your life, which appears to me to be like a life review, you saw yes. parts of your life and it, it's, and it seems like you kind of reevaluated those past memories can you share with us something that you reevaluated and and came up with a new conclusion of what had happened in your life? The way he showed it to me is there was merit and value in what I had been through, and this reevaluating was not in what had happened, and but in what I had learned within myself, and some of that was the acceptance of my interaction with nature, which is interesting because I'd always developed a connection with nature and I've always had a connection with trees. That was re-evaluated. The sense of presence and acceptance of myself was absolutely key because without that increased acceptance of myself and seeing there was value in my life, like up until then, I had no sense of self-acceptance because everything to me was just painful. It was a painful life. It was a painful experience being here. And I didn't have what I called a quality of life um, because the home environment was very controlling. We didn't very often get out to play with friends and things like that. But suddenly I felt an acceptance of life I never had before, that there was value in it. But looking at the internal learning and quality of presence within myself, not so much with the external environment. Now, that internal quality of acceptance wasn't on a surface level. It was in a deeper level of what it put me in touch with, which was compassion for other beings. And that was shown in the subtlest way where he showed it as compassion for myself. But I feel it was then reflected for the environment I was in where I was talking to him I then felt that compassion for for the ground, for the water, for even the seat he was sitting on, 
which then allowed me to take on the vibration of the environment and realize that everything in the environment was actually aspects of consciousness just condensed into form, which was an introduction to that realm where everything that is in a physical form is actually condensed consciousness. It's sort of come from the, the pool of consciousness or the space of consciousness. It's like an offshoot that's condensed itself and slowed its vibration enough that appears physical. And I often relate it to like water. You know, if you slow its vibration down, it becomes ice, but then you heat it up, it becomes water. Heat it further, it becomes steam. And if you heat it further, what does it become beyond that? And that's the way I've related to it since then. While they work it in reverse, they slow their vibration down till it condenses into form and becomes physical, which is also what we do when we incarnate. Um, because I've also been shown from source consciousness how we're sent down to the earth, the earth receives us and then brings us forth through our birth parents. So our original parents is actually source consciousness and mother earth. And then our second parents are our birth parents, which has been great for me because I don't just reference my birth parents for parental guidance. I reference my what I call my source parentage. So yes, I've had different experiences of it now which has totally changed my view of life the world but this being was definitely the introduction to that you mentioned that when you were there it felt complete would you consider that it felt like home there it felt beyond home the part of it that was interesting when i'm there myself and the environment are not two separate things I feel part of the environment. There literally is no separation, no sense of separation and no perception of separation. Even though I perceived a gentleman in another form, there was such an openness that there was no separation emotionally, mentally or physically. And it's actually interesting because it's only as you ask this question, it's impacting me how much that was there. And it's like I could go there any time because there was no separation. So even when I came back from it, I came back into the physical form. I never actually fully left that place. Like it has always stayed with me, which is why it's been permanently accessible to me. Because I took on that sense of no separation so much that it's just stayed. And that's not something I find a lot of people that I've spoken to with near-death experiences since then. When they leave it, they essentially leave it. Whereas I never actually fully left it. It's just left such an imprint that stayed with me. But where it's accessible is actually in consciousness. And I find to get back there, I have to have my heart open. I can't do it with closed heart. I can't do it with anger or resentment or any of the egoic emotions. I have to have that sense of openness, which is, I would describe as an expansive openness that I had there. So I find we've got our egoic emotions. And then from having learned to meditate, I find we, we talk about awareness and meditation which is outside the logical mind. Awareness is in the moment. And those emotions are the ones that I found on the other side. 
and still have today. And each aspect of consciousness, both um, egoic consciousness, awareness, and consciousness itself has their own range of emotions. The emotions on the other side are ones of both awareness and if you go deep enough, it's consciousness. But I didn't feel that in the NDE experience. That was more the emotions of awareness and in the moment presence. And it was only once I learned to meditate and learned to be in the moment, I realized that was its own set of emotions, totally separate from the egoic mind or brain activity, as I call it. You had this experience as a teenager, and when you came back, did you change at all? Outwardly for myself, no. Even though I'd had the experience, I didn't outwardly make sense of it to know what to do with it. So I just set it to the side. I didn't repress it, try and hide it. I just knew I'd had this experience. I had no framework to put it in, so I didn't try and do anything with it. I tend to sense that my life went on the way it did. I lived life like any normal teenager. Um, I left home and did my rebellious period um, like any young person. And then my understanding is when the accident happened at 27, it was the powers that be bringing me back to the place they wanted me to retouch again. So I was allowed to go out and have the human experience, but then it's like it was time for that to be over. And I had to start on this other path. Because once I had the accident, it literally is like they called me back home and everything directed me to be inward and start to touch within again. And that's where the whole spiritual journey, the, the journey with consciousness actually started. Because even though I hadn't had any teachings, and before I found the spiritualist church, I'd be laid up in bed and just struggling to breathe. So I was learning to watch my breath, which is what meditation teaches. But I was doing it through pain as a focus. And I remember one time I was passing out because it was hurting to breathe so much. And I just accepted because it was hurting to breathe, my body wasn't wanting to breathe. I was forcing it to breathe. And the pain was going up. I was passing out. And I knew if I stopped fighting for breath, I could pass out. And I thought I was going to die. And I just allowed it to happen. allowed myself to pass out. And I thought if I died, this is it. I was open to it. I was accepting to it. And I had to accept that sense of death again or the potential of it. And I've had that happen two further times in my life where I've been in a position of accepting potential of death but that was quite a liberating experience and once that had happened my relationship with the pain in my life utterly changed because I went unconscious I obviously came back at some point and it's like well the pain had done its worst and I was still here I hadn't died and it allowed me to accept pain pain didn't destroy my life it didn't take it away. And I could handle it, the fact that I could allow myself to pass out and still be okay with it. Um, yeah, it gave me a sense of freedom that I had in no other way. But it literally, the focal point of that was being open to accepting death, that moment of openness. 
was vitally important. And I've had that reinforced in two further experiences since then where death was imminent. All right, let's talk about the accident that started your spiritual journey. What happened? Um, it was a martial arts incident. I got kicked down in the lower left flank, just between the rib cage and the hip. Um, it left me with nerve and muscle damage. Um, for about three months, it was recovering. And then a three-month mark, it just started deteriorating and just continued to go down from there. And I started having more and more issues with nerve pain, muscle pain. And it just get, got more and more extreme. It took less and less to set it off. I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia. It set off pain symptoms in the spine. I had a spinal injury also when I was 15, which is a compression injury on the spine, and it started playing up. Um, it still plays up today. Um, I still go unconscious with the pain. Um, but I have an acceptance of it because I don't take pain medication most of the time. I do once in a while when it gets extreme. But most of the time I don't pay, take pain medication um, because both the meditation and the peace I've found within myself allow me to accept the awareness of symptom without what I call setting up living in it. Often pain, I'll go into a pain a wee bit here. Most people, when we have pain, we resent pain. And we resent the previous amount of pain and we hold on to it. And then we go, oh, I've got more pain now. We add that to the previous memory and we just keep adding memory of pain to memory of pain. I don't do that. I just be in the current moment experience and sensation, which is what being on the other side taught me. And just notice how it is. And I find pain has a movement. Like everything in life, there's a flow to it. And once you learn to breathe with this flow, there is actually no permanent sensation that stays in the body to hold on to. So I've learned to let pain go. Pain has a direction. It comes, it goes. It's not in a fixed state. It's constantly changing. And allowing it to change allows me to have the sense of letting go of pain. There's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing to attach to. And if I don't hold on to it, attach to it, or resent it, which is a form of holding on an attachment, um, it just goes. It has this permanent flow. And in that flow, I can breathe with it. I can allow myself to move with it. And I can allow my consciousness to acknowledge the passing of, passing of pain. And it allows me to deal with it far more effectively and, you know, than virtually any drugs or anything else I've ever tried. Um, drugs definitely do help take the edge off it, like at times, and they stop muscle spasms and things like that. I will take them for that, but quite often I just go cold turkey. You mentioned that the other side is still accessible to you. How yes. do you, How do you access it? For me... One other thing I, I've found since then is everything has a vibrational frequency. And I'll describe it the way I learned it first. I learned to get in flow with my own breath. And I found there's a rhythm to it. 
and I found there's a deeper rhythm that the body wants to breathe at, and I can drop into that deeper rhythm, which takes me from conscious mind or thinking brain to awareness. And there's a third rhythm to the breath. When I get in tune with that third rhythm, that accesses consciousness. And I found that everything got it has got its own vibration because I also have very strong feeling skills or empathic ability. I can feel the vibration of something, like with my communication with nature, I can feel the vibration of a tree. I breathe in time with that vibration, and at the moment I match the tree's vibration, where here, both one and the same, the communication is established, and I can communicate on a conscious level with anything that I match vibration with. I do the same with the other side. I found, in my memory, I found its vibration, and I'm able to access it by matching its vibration, and then there's an open doorway. And that is possible with everything, rock, mineral, stone, animal, sky, source consciousness, our personal guides, the acacia records, everything's got vibration. And we can go in time with that and start to talk to it. Having had injuries and disabilities, I found even injuries disabilities, disease also have their own vibration and through matching vibration with that or communicating with that vibration we can find out what this disease, illness and disability is about and find out what consciousness is driving this, what's behind it and we can find the lessons within that which all started from having this near-death experience, feeling it and the roller coaster that's been set in motion from that so yeah vibration basically earlier you said that you connect people who are passing over yes how do you do that um i feel into the person from the empathic side i get a feeling of them not so much the whole physical form but their and everybody's heart is what i call the soul light and i just touch it, introduce myself. At the same time I do that, this uh, larger part of me goes to the other side and talks to the guides there that are waiting for this person. I then form a bridge from the other side over to the physical realm. Now, this is a etherical bridge. The bridge is usually an arched bridge, and it has a canopy over it. Often it's sort of like perspex or it's see-through. And sometimes there'll be flowers around it. Sometimes it'll be clear. Sometimes it'll, it'll have like water playing around it. You know, see water flowing under the bridge. But as you look through the perspex, you'll see water. Sometimes it can be whatever the person is comfortable with. It may be a, a garden scene, as well as having flowers growing over the canopy. I then take the connection from there and the link I've got with the guides and I sort of introduce that energy to the person who's ready to pass over. Um, sometimes I take the guides energy with me, sometimes just the energy of that portal that the person feels an access point to something that has both a loving and present moment consciousness. And the, once again, the peace that comes with that 
often allows the person who's going through current symptoms to settle down because once I drop that energy with them, often you know, I've it's happened on two occasions I, I've shared experiences with people passing over, they settle down and they, they gain a sense of peace. The first person I did it with, once I'd set up the tunnel of light to the other side um, or the bridge, which had the tunnel of light, they saw it as a beam of light coming down and they consciously said and pointed and said, the light. Now, I never said to them what I was doing. It was their children who had asked me to come in and do this and set this up because they knew what I did. I hadn't spoken to the person directly at all. I'd given them no information. And they saw the tunnel of light exactly where I set it up. That for me was, an, was a beautiful confirmation that what I had done had an, ex, an experience and a presence on this physical realm for them to be able to touch. Um, the second person I did it with is the same, but I also have done it a lot with people that are passed over, beings that are passed over. Um, in the last four, fortnight, I've fortnight be three weeks now, I've had two people with dogs who've passed over who've asked me to assist and check on their pets and things like that. Um, you can do it with anything that's passing over. Animals, if I see an animal that's died on the road, I'll often just check it. The access way for that is there that it's passed over. Every being, as far as I'm concerned, deserves right to access that the ongoing journey that we all have from body to the other side and to reincarnate again. And it's one thing that I've learned from the whole process. There is actually no death. There is just the changing of form. We come into form. We have the form experience, and when we come into form, because we experience it as a separate reality, we almost disconnect ourselves from the life energy on the other side. So we come in, we sort of shut ourselves off to the life energy, which, which is partly what gives us a finite life period, because our battery that we've come in with runs down. So we go back to the other side to recharge and come back to the next incarnation. And it's the more conscious we are of the other side, the more life energy we can bring through. But it's not just the other side. It's to everything that is created from that source consciousness. When we connect to things on a conscious level, which is where I've learned to match its vibration, we find everything has a life flow. The more we plug into this life flow, even on this physical realm, the more we become a part of that life energy. But it's being open to connection with all form, all being, and all aspects of consciousness, which can be confronting some. But there is ways of introducing people to that and helping realize it is available to everyone. Where a lot of people are concerned about connecting to somebody who might be a murderer or even a mass murderer. People love mentioning Hitler. Hitler, we're not connecting to their behavior in the physical form, we're connecting to their consciousness in their physical form, their heart-based consciousness. Like I say, at the core of everybody's heart is their soul light. That carries the purity that is sometimes lost to their, to their thinking brain. Because of their life experience, they may have become so disconnected from that part of themselves, they don't know how to access it anymore.
but life always brings us to a place where it's trying to do its best to connect us to what we are. Some people are afraid of what's there because it's such a radical change to what they've got used to in their earth walk, they shy away from it. A lot of people talk about you know, um, evil. Evil to me, when you look at it, is just live spelt spell backwards. And even the word the devil is just live spelt backwards. And it's indicated what's happened. We either head towards the light or we head away from it. It's not bad. It's not wrong. We're just heading in the wrong direction. We're separating ourselves further and further from that connected consciousness. And the more we separate from it, the more disconnected we become and the more we perceive the world as a conflict place. The more we connect back to that light and the consciousness that goes with it, we perceive it as a connected place without separation. So we either head in the direction of separation or we head in the direction of connection. And we can change that direction any time. I've seen people that are getting connected. It scares them enough because, believe it or not, even something so good for somebody, they can be scared of it because they're afraid of losing what I call the little happiness they've got because they feel that's going and they try and hold on to it. But the idea is to let go of the little happiness to take on the big happiness. And once you get used to that, you can start going with it and realize it's okay to let something go because every time we let go and head towards the light, we're heading in a, a better and better direction. The quality of love, compassion, connection at every step forward improves. We don't lose anything real. Which is where I come back to a statement from the Course in Miracles that anything real cannot be lost. Anything that can be lost is not real. That which is real to me is love, consciousness, compassion, joy. And even joy can sort of go. I find happiness is a precursor to joy and joy is a precursor to love. Happiness we experience in the world of time and egoic thinking. The more we go into happiness, we pop into joy. But we find when we pop into joy, we've gone from time to being in the moment. Joy is experienced in the moment. And that's a doorway to consciousness and consciousness and love are usually experienced together. So we get different emotions on different levels. One leads us to the next level, which leads us to the next level. And you find at each interchange from happiness to joy, there's a sense of expansion that people feel. They feel more expanded, more abundant. And when you go from joy into love, it's an even greater sense of expansion again. So spirit and evolution has set it up so we've got these transitory emotions that lead us from one stage to the other happiness joy and love are just one of those avenues beauty i find is another and the recognition of beauty is another access point through meditation are you able to have an out-of-body experience and astral travel on the other side yes. um or I can astral travel, yes. I don't go to the other side. That's a, what I call a vibrational shift or almost a dimensional shift. When I'm talking to people here on this plane and I'm talking to the other side, it's like what I call shifting gears. I can talk to the physical person here. I can talk. Now, if I'm talking to a physical person who's about to pass over, I'm with that vibration. 
I can be with the other side's vibration and their guide's vibration. Now, not many people realize this, but our spiritual guides have their guides and their guides have their guides and it goes sort of up to source in that sequence. Each layer gets less and less beings until you get to what I call aspects of oneness. Now, each one has its own vibrational frequency, so I can talk to those layers, and it's like what I call shifting gears. I'll talk to this layer, and then I'll talk to that layer. Whatever one is relevant for the person here or whatever message needs to be passed on. When I do astral traveling, I'm essentially traveling in the physical realm, whether I'm going to another planet, another galaxy, or to the extent of the Big Bang. Um, and that's different to exploring an awareness where I'm going to, you can try and go to the edge of awareness, but you'll never find it because there is no edge to awareness. Awareness is infinite. And I would, it's infinite and everlasting. It's a place without end um, to experience infinite consciousness is quite an experience. Um, yeah, it's just everywhere the same. The thing with awareness is we learn to direct it. We can either direct it towards thoughts and thinking or we can direct it towards consciousness itself. It's the doorway between the thinking world and the world of consciousness, but it is a unique thing in itself, which is we, we learn to direct it. Um, in meditation, we learn to be aware of the breath and the most of the traditions I've been with. And directing awareness to the breath is just a directional tool. You can actually sit in awareness without directing towards any object, which is where we find unlimited, unconditional, infinite awareness. And yeah, that's a space in itself. Have you ever astral traveled to the Hall of Records or the Akashic Records? And if so, what do those places physically look like? When I first tapped into this, I didn't astral travel. I was learning to orientate to the chakras in my body. And for whatever reason, I felt, felt the energy line going out the top of my skull. And I found there was a chakra above my body, which is the eighth one. And there's various other ones beyond that. And when I went into the eighth, I went up the set of stairs. And as I went up it, I arrived on this floor of a building. Wooden floor, um, it sort of had this wooden banister going up with it. And I popped out there and there was this room with books, records, um, files, folders, you name it, it was there. I knew it was a different place and there was a librarian there. And he came over to greet me and he introduced me and he says, welcome to the Hall of Records. And he started to take me towards a table. And as I went round to the table, there was a book there ready for me to read. And as I opened the book, the pages appeared as pages, but yet also as light. And this light conveyed consciousness. This was my book that was there ready for me to read. And it was on the pages that I needed to read. I could turn one or two pages either way. But in that first introduction, I was staying within those first two, three pages. One direction took me into where I'd been. 
where it was open was where I was. As I went the other direction, it's where I was going. Everybody has this available, so I could get a sense of what, when I learned to access it efficiently, I could go there and see what the day was about before the day, before I began the day. Every morning I'd wake up, I'd go to the Hall of Records and get an introduction to what the day was about. And that book would have an essence of what the day's lesson, message, or experience was about, which re really helped me a lot because that was in the early days of the disability. So I could see there was a lesson in the day, there was a message for the day, and I could sort of have that focus in mind without being obsessive and just be open to anything that came along that confirmed that. And virtually every day there was strong confirmation of those messages every single day. And it wasn't just by me interpreting, it would come from outside in ways that I never could have interpreted or expected. And it just confirmed that what I was being shown in these books was both valid and relevant. And I learned to rely on it more. I then learned to be able to read other books in the library. I was able to access my book further in whatever direction. Um, there was always an appropriateness with it. I know when it's appropriate to read something and when it's not. And everything stays within this appropriateness, which is what I call the harmony of something. If there's a harmony to it, then we are allowed to do it. If it's out of harmony, we don't do it. And I could read books on Earth history, um, galaxy, various different aspects. And I went for a walk in the Hall of Records looking for an end to the shelves and I found there's no end to the shelves in the Hall of Records. Now, somebody talked to me about the Akashic Records at one stage and I learned to tap into that and I found the Akashic Records and the Hall of Records have a difference. The Akashic Records, to me, in my experience, have a reference of everything that's happened on Earth and everything we've experienced. And it seems to be within that range. Whereas the Hall of Records has the potential set up of potential pathways and things like that. And it also has, I got introduced to a side room one day. When they took me in there, it went into a different dimension. So the Hall of Record has what I call dimensional shifts available. I'm allowed to go there when it's appropriate, but it's not one that I feel drawn to go all the time. So there's different rooms you can go to for different dimensions, which is really intriguing. I've, I still haven't learned all there is to about that one because I haven't felt the need because a lot of my time I spend on this level. Um, yeah, it was just an interesting place to be. And after I'd been visiting it for a while, um, I went there one day and there was another gentleman there and that was where I first met Jesus. I got introduced to him, he was there. and I thought I recognized him and then got introduced and he was just like a normal everyday person. He did look different. He did have the long beard thing and you know the robes that sort of indicated. Um, and no, he's not white. Um, yeah beautiful knowledgeable being absolutely amazing and he stayed with me through quite a period of my life um he wasn't the only one 
but he was definitely with me on a daily basis. He'd come back, he'd be in my house. Um, he provided a lot of comfort for a long time. You mentioned that you saw the history of the earth. Is there something that you remember from that book that's surprising? That, you know, we um, would be like, wow, I didn't know that about the history. Okay, how out there to go? Um, I have a range of abilities, and what it's done has helped me tap into things. I can access past lives, both my own and others. Um, I have memory of where I came from. I remember the moment I was first created by Source Consciousness. I actually remember being a ball of light flying around the Earth, watching the Earth form. So I saw it coming together. I saw it forming. The first two lives that I remember were actually experienced as rock. So it's not something I saw in the book. I learned to tap into the actual experience itself. I used the, the book as a reference point, but once I was in the reference point, I could let go of the book and become the experience that I had being here on Earth. Um, one of the places I dropped into was when the dinosaurs were around, and I can tell you, particular dinosaur that was there, we were near where a T-Rex was, and it gave a roar. And all I can say is, its breath smells. <laughs> uh, that's one thing that impacted me, how much halitosis this T-Rex had. That really, really bad breath. Um, so if you want an impacting experience, yeah, T-Rex has a really bad breath. Um, but it was interesting being there because in that place, like I was there with a, an experience of non-physical human form. It was like an ethereal body because I was just accessing time. The plant life was so different to anything I knew here. And I was looking at the plant life before I realized there was this T-Rex coming up. And for whatever reason, it seemed to detect something there. And it gave this roar, which it was virtually its head was just behind me. It was roaring at me. Um, and I realized I had to step aside. It could sense something, but it didn't actually physically see, see me. Um, but it could feel something. So I was just reacting to its environment. It was an interesting experience to, to experience the sound, the smell of the breath. Uh, up until that point, I was just mesmerized by the plant life and the air felt different. The moisture in the air felt different. Um, even the water looked different because once again, there was a lake and sort of quite off in the background. Um, yeah, everything just felt different there. And yeah, it was interesting. After, so, yeah, that's one experience I had. After your NDE, did you have any mental abilities that you didn't have prior? I'm almost going to say yes and no. None that became immediately available. But I already had the empathic abilities. I had the connection with nature, and all of that was set aside. But once I had the accident in 1985, it's like it kicked all of that into motion. The ability to access the other side was immediately there. I never had to get trained for that. I never had to learn from people. And when people did tell me, I could always add to what they were trying to teach me because I had that connection. 
So yes, it did, but they stayed latent until I had the accident in 1985, which is where, in my interpretation, spirit wanted me to awaken to what I had the ability to do and actually start that path. And yeah, it wasn't until I came in contact with the spiritualist church and other people who had interest in this area that that path of growth really started to take place. Um, things like, you know, communicating with loved ones who have passed over, communicating with guides and things um, started coming into place. And I didn't pay too much attention to helping people pass over because I found it had quite a heavy vibration when I talked to guides and the guides are the guides. That has such a high vibration for me that holds more interest. So I've learned to talk to the layers of spirit, which is where I learned to track up those layers to go to source consciousness. And that to me has a more relevant message than become, you know, helping people pass over all the time. The way I got shown is if I focused on that, I could get stuck in that and I wouldn't grow beyond it. And they, the growth felt more important than that. Just helping people pass over was like the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, whereas they wanted me to understand consciousness to stop people having to need to be helped to pass over. Because once we understand death and that there is no death, it's just eternal life just changing its type of form that it experiences through. We either experience through physical body, ethereal body, or just as an aspect of consciousness. And once we realize that, we don't attach to any one form or the other, which, you know, in human life, we question death. You know, what's going to happen when I die? What's it going to be like? Well, when you realize that you never actually die, the physical body we let go of, but it was only borrowed, you know. It, it arose from the earth and it's going to go back to the earth. It's just borrowed. And once we realize we just borrow it to experience interaction, um, we don't attach to it. You know, it's like I'm still going to be here after the body goes and I'm pretty much still going to be just as conscious as I was, <laughs> as I am in this body form. You know, the attachment to the body really doesn't take place. Did you ever talk to any of your fellow students and ask them, what happened to my body while you were having your experience? Like, did the lifeguard jump in and pull you out of the pool and give you CPR? Or No, this is going to be the interesting one. And it doesn't seem it should have happened that way. I actually got myself out of the pool. Now, when I was drowning and did the tunnel of light, there was a point where I was told it was time to come back. I knew it was a choice and I knew that it was the preferred choice. But as I was coming back, it's like I had to wait because something else moved into my body and operated my body to get it out. It wasn't me. I don't know what it was for sure. I experienced it like the presence of an entity, but it wasn't me. When I got out, there was a raised edge to the side of the swimming pool. My body was hanging over, my head was down, and there was water flowing out. The first impression I have of being in the body is experiencing 
sensing this water flowing out. And it wasn't until whatever this entity was that got my body out, it slipped out and I slipped in. Hmm. And then theoretically, I shouldn't have had, it shouldn't have happened. I shouldn't have, my body shouldn't have been able to do that, but it did. I don't know what that was for sure. They've never really told me. Even now, as I'm talking about, they're going, we'll find out. But it's like, I'll find out at another time at another place, probably more when I leave this realm. Um, yeah, but I was coughing, choking. I remember the shift from the vibration of where I'd been adjusting to the physical vibration again. That probably took me took me quite a few minutes, probably 10, 15 minutes. I was really adjusting to being back in this world again. It was really weird. The thing was, my schoolmates who were further up the pool on the other side, nobody had seen anything. Nobody was paying any attention. I was coughing, I was spluttering, I was choking. Nobody was paying any attention at all. And you asked me to make sense of that, but I don't. I just don't know what to do with it. I know something got my body up, but it wasn't me. It's just, yeah, I've got no framework for that still. At any point in your life, did you ever discover what your purpose is here? Yes. The purpose that I've found is the unfoldment of consciousness, which is going within. When we find that, we find out how connected we are, not as a separate being, but as an ultimate creative being, where the whole consciousness that exists in all space-time and we are the creative aspect of consciousness. Now, that's not an above and beyond anything else. I'm mentioning this because the importance of realizing we, we are creative beings, we create from our thinking brain, we create from awareness, and we create from our consciousness. So everything we perceive is, is an energy of creation. It creates an experience to reflect that experience and for us to be able to question that experience, whether it's real or not. Um, it takes us towards things that are real, and it takes us into things that we fantasize about to realize the emptiness of fantasy. Um, we can generate you know, fantasies that the world's a painful place, and we can do that, but we'll still feel there's a call to get something deeper. We always look for happiness. So when we look for happiness, we're looking for experiences that aren't painful. So we realize there's two realms of experience, ones that take us away from that connection again and ones that take us towards it. When we hold beliefs like this is a painful place, our heart knows that's not where we want to be. So our heart space consciousness will create an experience that's opposite to that. And the two parts of us, the part that's caught up in the egoic consciousness and the part that's the enlightened consciousness calling its home, set up almost what feels like a battle between them to our, our inner being. And it's for our logical brain to sort out, am I the separated consciousness or am I the connected consciousness and recognize the journey from one to the other? As long as we're caught up in brain consciousness or thinking brain, we experience it from a place of separation. Once we reach awareness and connection, and that is also accessible through consciousness, but awareness being the first doorway, 
that calls us back to that in the moment consciousness, that in the moment presence, which experiences things through connection. So we're getting pulled to separation through egoic consciousness. We're getting called to our world of consciousness through the doorway of awareness. And it's looking at that pull. I often find in dream state, our dreams are helping us resolve the differences between the thinking brain and between awareness and consciousness. Once again, our dreams are often calling us home and it's learning to listen to this. Consciousness is always present and it's always operating even while we're asleep. Um, it's the brain that goes to sleep, which is reflective of egoic consciousness is essentially asleep through both awareness and consciousness until we learn to listen to that deeper part of ourselves, which exists in the moment, in the moment consciousness. Um, you can't access that through the world of time. You have to ex ex experience that at, in our in the moment consciousness. So purpose of life, accessing the full potential of what we are, which is experienced in the moment, which is letting go of the world of time and the world of separation to become connected to the world of connection. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you. Are you open to that? Yes, I, I am. I have two Facebook pages available, um, which is my main way of interacting with the world. Um, they can reach me through there. Um, I have one, which is my everyday page. I have one which is my own writings because uh, I sort of have philosophical writings that I put out that various people access or shared with various groups that have asked me to share. Um, so that's also available and people can message me if they feel the need. And I've already worked with various people in different countries and different um, cultures. So I have a level of connection and interaction with people already. And I have traveled overseas and done some workshops before. So that also is still available. Do you have anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? Um, the big thing at the moment, and this is becoming a very important message lately. One of the things with connected consciousness is in the Western world, we've become so disconnected from both ourselves and the earth we live on that we've created a world that's in conflict with our lifestyle. And it's asking us to come back to connection and to work with her. The earth is not something to rape and pillage. It's something to live with. We live within the earth and she's asking us to come home to listen to her from a connected consciousness point of view and work with her cooperatively instead of taking advantage of her from our separated place. She's actually there to look after us. She's the most loving presence I know in this, from this physical world that we have immediate access to. She loves all her children. She wants to support us, but she's asking us to live within a way that she conveys that support. There's many things we've done. We think we do better than her, but we don't. Virtually every time we don't do it as well as her. Once we learn to listen to consciousness through awareness, 
we can talk with her, which is where I referred to matching vibration before. She talks to us and gives us messages all the time. We just need to listen. And that's what we've been called to come back to in humanity, to work with the earth, not over the top of the earth or feeling like we have power over her. We don't. The way she shows it to me, we are organisms living within her atmosphere. So we're in her atmosphere. We're actually inside her. When we work with her as a beneficial organism, both her and us benefit from that interaction. When we work in opposition to her, we're like a, a dis-ease within her. And she shows me that her immune system, immune system will kick in at some to bring us back to harmony, to a cooperative working environment rather than a disease which is working in conflict with her. And this has been brought through massively for me recently. Work in harmony, come back to that harmonious relationship with us, and you realize she is our guide, she is our parent that is showing us how to both live and grow. And we need to start working within that living environment rather than, you know, like cutting down the rainforest and doing various things. There's so many things that I can mention there, but it all starts from motivation, from our thinking brain, from awareness and consciousness itself. Working separation doesn't work anymore, and it's time to let that separated relationship go and start working from a connected consciousness, which we all have available. The sooner we listen to this, the sooner the things that are happening with the earth and our environment will come back to a co cooperative phase. Otherwise, it's going to start. Well, it's already causing things which are causing disruption for humans through environmental catastrophes and things like that. Um, and we need to bring it back in harmony, come back into that consciousness, and it'll do a lot to heal that process. So, yes, that's my message. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Um, every experience is here for our highest growth. Even think when we think we have bad experiences, it's there. We delve into it in a deeper level to help us grow, to help to learn to let go of things. Like we have war on the planet at the moment. It's realizing that's not where we want to be and realizing if that's not where we want to be, where do we want to be? Everything here is here for our highest growth, our highest intention. It's to bring out the part of us that we need to listen to and to come in cooperation with. No experience is wasted. It's our judgment of experience that causes the conflict. When we stop judging and look at what the experience is helping us get in touch with, that is often the part of us we need to evolve, get in touch with, and move forward with. You know, it's like friends who've had their dogs pass away. They think it's a sad experience. They think it's bad. Why did this happen as if it's wrong? It's not wrong. That sadness is the depth of the love that we have available. And when we get in touch with the love we have for our children, our animals, our pets, our environment, we realize how much depth we have within ourselves. Even though it seems traumatic from the sadness, sadness is just separation from love. The way I've been showing it, everything, every breath of air, every blade of grass, every insect, all 
is equally important as everyone else. Everything plays a role in this journey of consciousness. And it's the importance of this that we need to start tapping into consciously and work with it. Christopher, thank you for that message and thank you for being my guest. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. It's much appreciated. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.